Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of February 17th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. As we look at this chapter and the, the things that take place in it, you're going to look at some of the things that take place and you're going to say, that looks familiar. Over the last uh, few weeks as we've looked in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen things like the feeding of the 5,000. We have seen him have discussions with the Pharisees. We saw him heal uh, last week a, a deaf and mute man. And as we, see, as we get to chapter 8, you're going to see another feeding of a large group of people. Now this time it's not 5,000, it's, it's 4,000. And it's not the same miracle. It's not a retelling, a slightly different retelling of, a, of the same thing. It's, it's a different account. It's a different feeding. It's a, it's a second thing. You may have noticed that from time to time throughout the course of your life that uh, maybe whether it be mathematics or whether it's history or maybe you had to uh, memorize, y'all remember, memorize the Pledge of Allegiance when you were in school? Anybody remember? I remember I was having to, we had to memorize the, uh, the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. Does anybody still remember that? I remember the first line or two. After that, it's like, okay. Maybe you've memorized some scripture through the years. Now, when you were memorizing things in school, what was, what was the primary method of memorization? Repetition, right? Don't just say it once, but say it again and again. How many, how many would say, whether it's memorization or even just other lessons in life, that... Repetition comes in handy. Does it take us generally sometimes, and not just sometimes, does it generally take us more than once to learn a lesson? Or was that just me? Because I'm pretty sure I didn't get just spanked once. It was probably, well, it wasn't probably, it was repeatedly. And it wasn't always for something different. It was often for the same thing. Maybe that, maybe, maybe that was just me. But we learn through repetition, don't we? Now, it's not always the funnest thing to do to have lessons repeated for us. But even in scriptures, what we see is that Jesus often will repeat things. He repeats lessons because there are times he wants us to get something down really well. He does this even in, in, ancient, in the ancient world, in the ancient Israel. Repeating, repeating words was sometimes a way to, to, to emphasize something. So today, if you're writing an email or if you're writing a, a tweet or out something on Facebook and you want to make something really, um, you want to emphasize something, what do you do? Well, you might, you might bold the text. You might underline it. You might, everyone's favorite on Facebook is all caps. And when you put all caps or you underline, you bold something, what you're doing is you're saying to somebody else, pay attention here, right? Well, in ancient Israel... You don't have the ability to boldface a type, or you don't have the ability to underline something, or the ability to all cap something. So what do you do if you want to emphasize something? You repeat it. So when Jesus says things like in the King James, verily, verily, or in a more modern translation, truly, truly, he says that, he repeats it as a way of saying, pay attention, all caps, underline, bold, listen to this. So truly, truly means Pay attention here. That's, the idea, that's, that's the, what they would often do. Even in the Old Testament, you'll see that from time to time. And when they, 
repeat something not twice like truly, truly, but when they say something like holy, 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 that's like a that's like underline all caps bold italics altogether. Really, it's a big deal. Well, not only does that happen in words, but sometimes Jesus will repeat lessons. Mark chapter six and seven, and then Mark chapter eight following that will. Uh, there, there's a there's a parallel there, there's a repeating pattern you'll see the, some of the same things you're going to see we saw a feeding in the five thousand we saw this feeding event we saw an event with the water we saw an event with jesus teaching and having a discussion with the pharisees we saw jesus having a healing moment we're going to see almost the exact same sequence repeated in mark chapter 8 now what's happening here well i think jesus is repeating something for us he has a lesson that he wants the disciples and he wants us to make sure that we grasp. Because if we, as we read this text, as we read chapter 8, we'll realize the disciples hadn't figured this, this lesson out yet. So that's why Jesus is repeating it. So that's what's going on here. This section has a, a repetition to it. But that repetition is to make a point. So let's read this. Mark chapter 8, we're going to read the first few verses of this chapter. In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? He said seven. He directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to all the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered them uh, these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there. And he sent them away heavenly father as we come to this passage i pray that we will that we will gather and learn what it is you have repeated here for us lord we would not be this morning dull of hearing and dull of seeing the lord i would not be dull of speaking that lord your spirit would speak through these words of the scripture and speak through my limited means to accomplish your purposes in jesus name we pray amen now, just to set this up for you, this is taking place in a different location than the feeding of the 5,000 that we saw a few weeks ago. If you remember over the last couple of weeks, Jesus had taken kind of a, a lap, if you will. He'd taken a, a very circular route. He had started in uh, the area around the northwestern part of the Sea of Galilee. He'd gone up towards Tyre and Sidon that's on the coast in modern-day Lebanon. And he'd circled back around. And the Bible says he came down to the Decapolis, which is actually southeast of the Sea of Galilee. And now he's probably in that general area. And so what that means is that this crowd that he's dealing with this morning, this feeding of the 4,000, is in a different part. It's down here. The Sea of Galilee is here. It's down here as opposed to up here. Now, when he did the feeding of the 5,000 several weeks ago, that was probably mostly a Jewish context. Everyone there is most likely from Israel. And Jesus did several things in that feeding of the 5,000 for his disciples and for them that was attaching him to the God of the Exodus. 
He was declaring to the people of Israel by what he was doing and by what he was saying. And, and he was trying to make clear to the disciples that he is the God of the Exodus, that he was the same God who brought them out of slavery, that he was the same God who gave them manna in the wilderness and gave them water and led them through the Red Sea. He was declaring to them that he was, in fact, Yahweh. Now, they didn't all catch that, including the disciples. But that's what Jesus was doing. And so there was a, a very specific context there that he was trying to accomplish. This crowd this morning is most likely much more Gentile in nature. Now, there's, there's probably some Jews, there's probably some Israelites in there, but these 4,000 are more likely many more Gentiles. This is not nearly the Jewish area that Jesus did this the first time. So there's something kind of different going on here. The terminology is a little bit different, and, and Jesus is not being quite so obvious as to identify himself with the God of the Exodus, because if you're a Gentile, does that make any difference to you about Exodus? Probably not. You don't have the same attachment to that as the people of Israel did. Also, there's some other differences here. This area that he's in this morning here, the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark chapter 8, is a much more desolate area. If you go back to Mark chapter 6 and we see the description of the feeding of the 5,000, you'll see it talking about there's some green grass, and there's some rolling hills. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a pleasant, it's out in the middle of nowhere, but still there's, it's, it's a nice area. They, they're within walking distance perhaps of a few towns and they can get some bread. This one, they are, there's nothing. It's rocks, it's dirt, it's not green. If they're on the verge of the desert, it's a much more desolate area. On top of that, the feeding of the 5,000 a few weeks ago, uh, they, people had followed Jesus out there to that day, and they'd been kind of out there for the afternoon, out there for the day. This time, they've been out there for how long? Three days. So by the time we get to Mark chapter 8, they've already been out there listening to Jesus teach for three days. So we have this large crowd, mostly Gentiles, and Jesus sees them after three days of teaching, and he says to his disciples, I have compassion for these people, because they have been here for three days, and they have nothing to eat. If I send them away now, they're going to faint. <laughs> I'm tempted to try this out. I don't know if I could talk for three days. You want to find out? Yeah, yeah neither do I. Yeah, three days. Now, I'm sure some of them had some food with them already because they followed him out there quite a ways. But it's three days. Everyone's hungry. Everyone's thirsty. And what happens when everyone gets hungry and thirsty? Cranky. <laughs> They're tired. It's time to do something. So Jesus has compassion on them. Now, if you remember the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples came to Jesus and said, listen, these folks need help. This time, Jesus makes the Jesus takes the initiative. He says, I have compassion for these folks. My first question this morning was, I wonder why that happened. After three days, why did the disciples say, you know, Jesus, it's been three long days. Why don't we help these folks out? Now, remember, it's, it's, it's been a few months since the feeding of the 5,000, as, as the real calendar goes. It's been a few months. And then it was just a few hours the disciples were going, listen, these folks need some help. This time it's been three days, the disciples haven't said anything. Now why is that? I don't know entirely, I've got to speculate a little bit, but I think part of it, again, might be the makeup of this crowd. Remember, we had this discussion that Jesus had with the Pharisees several chapters ago in Mark 6 about 
the nature of what it means to come and be right with God. And then Jesus immediately takes them and takes the disciples away from Israel and takes them into Gentile territory and spends the next few months essentially telling the disciples, listen, this isn't about just being Jewish and obeying the dietary laws and keeping all the rules. This is about what it means to be broken before God. And the mission you're going to be on will not just be to Israel, it will be to the world. And, and I don't think they still have gotten it yet. So here they are in the southeastern portion of the Sea of Galilee, an area called the Decapolis, and there's a, probably a mostly Gentile group, and the disciples still do not seem to have the level of concern for these Gentiles that Jesus does. So what's there for us to learn from this this morning? First of all, I want us to see a couple of things. First of all is this. This time, when Jesus is moved with compassion for the people, he wants to feed them. Last time we saw Jesus was moved with compassion and his response was to see them as sheep without a shepherd and he wanted to teach. His response to them was they need to know the truth. This time he says, these people need some food. <laughs> they just need to eat. We need to understand that as he provides them food to eat and then we see that not only do they all eat until they're satisfied, they have seven baskets full. Now, these baskets, you'll see the word large baskets. In, in the book of Acts, when Paul uh, is converted, he's preaching, and one of the first things that he preaches in, you may remember that he gets in trouble, as Paul often did. Paul seemed to rile folks up wherever he went. And so Paul had begun preaching, and some folks wanted to run him out of town. So the way they got Paul out was they put him in a basket and lowered him out a window outside the city. Now, it's got to be a pretty good-sized basket to get a guy in the basket, right? That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the same type of basket. So these are baskets big enough to put a guy in. All right? So, I don't know exactly how tall that is, but if you guys could fit in the basket, it was full of food. That's a lot of food, right? Baskets full of bread and fish. So they fed these 4,000 people. Everyone ate as much as they could. They were content. And there were seven guy-sized baskets left. In other words, Jesus can take care of your needs. And then some. I was reminded this week of the fray of the time when Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 10 said this, I have come that they may have life and that they might have life to the full. You know what that means? God is not about just giving you the bare minimum. He's about providing all that you need and then some. Now, I want us to be careful, I want us to be careful here. That this does not mean that every meal you sit down to, God will give you leftovers. <laughs> but what this does mean is this, that God has seen our need. And what is primarily our need before God? Our need before God is grace. Our need before God is salvation. Our need before God is that we cannot come to Him without dying unless He does something first. And so God has seen us in our need. He has seen us in our despair. He has seen us in our sin. And He has seen us in our rebellion before Him. And He says, this is what you need. But I'm not going to provide you just enough to be saved. I'm not going to provide you just enough to escape death. I'm going to provide you with grace enough to be leftovers. I'm going to provide you with salvation enough that it will last for all eternity. You will Dying with me for all eternity with more than you can possibly imagine. And no matter how much sin you think you have, no matter how much rebellion and dirt you think you have, the blood of Christ, the grace of God 
will just come and come and come, and there will be so much left, you can't even imagine how much there will be. God's grace is infinite. God takes care of us in our greatest need with more grace and more salvation and more of His presence than we can possibly imagine. God does not come to us and think to us and say to us, I'm going to give you as little of myself as I can for you to be getting by. He says, I'm going to give you all of myself. He says, I'm not going to give you just enough to get through the next day or the next day. I'm going to give you every spiritual blessing there is in abundance. Our God is a God of abundance. He, he lacks for nothing and He gives generously. Jesus is letting them know that He is not a stingy God. It's been said that there's an important question for us when we look at our faith. Is our God a generous God or is He a stingy God? You know what God is? He's a generous God. And so as Jesus provides this meal, He's telling the people and He's telling the Gentiles, and He's even showing His disciples, I am not just giving the bare minimum. You may remember a couple weeks ago we looked at Jesus as he interacted with the, what we call the Syrophoenician woman. And I think Jesus was putting her through the, the ringer. He was giving her a test and he, he kind of said some things that to us appeared a little bit harsh. And she made the comment in the middle of the conversation with Jesus that even, even the dogs, and Jesus had kind of compared the Gentiles and her to a dog. And he said, she said, even the dogs get crumbs. But what Jesus is saying to the people of, of, of Israel, to the disciples and to the people of this crowd is no longer, or really, crumbs aren't really what, what's, what's in store. There is abundance now. We as, as Gentiles, and we're Gentiles in this room this morning, we're not Jews, we're Gentiles. And God has not given us the crumbs of the cross. He has given us the full-blown meal. In a few moments, we're going to take of the Lord's Supper. And I will say this, the bread, it kind of looks like crumbs. <laughs> but these things, while they're small this morning, it's, a, it's just a bite of bread and a, a sip of juice. They represent so much more. These small bits of bread, these small cups of juice represent an infinite amount of love and grace. Our God supplies all our needs and gives us life and gives us life to the full. He is an abundant God. Sometimes, not only do we come to God, we think sometimes we don't have enough. Sometimes we look at what God's asked us to do. We think, well, I don't have those resources. In Sunday school this morning, we were looking at the construction of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. And one of the things that came out was that everything God had asked the people of Israel to give and the construction of the tabernacle was something that he had already provided. That he had already given. The disciples could have very easily said, again, we don't have the resources. We only have a few loaves of bread and a few small fish. And the amount of food the disciples had to bring to the table was irrelevant. It didn't matter if they had three loaves or five loaves or seven loaves or 25 loaves. It didn't matter. Not in and of itself was going to be good enough or enough to, do, to, to, to accomplish the feeding of 4,000 people. So if you got 50 loaves of bread, you are not feeding 4,000 people, are you? The issue is not how much bread they brought, it's the God they brought it to. 
There are things in front of us as a church, and there are things in front of your family. There are things in front of us as believers that God's called us to. And the question is never, what do I have to bring? It's what can God do? When we look at a year, we look at the things that God wants and sets in, store of us, sets in front of us, may we never start our conversations with God talking about what we don't have and what we can't do. And we always start with, God, what is it you want to do? Because God always provides the means to do what he's asked us to do. So it's just, we, we start this morning with just a reminder that Jesus is more than sufficient. But more than that, that his mission was to more than just the Jews. The bread of life is going to more than just the nation of Israel. You may remember a couple weeks ago we saw the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He talked about how he was going to be their shepherd. And what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 8 is he's expanding the flock. He's bringing in more sheep. The disciples, quite frankly, seem to be not all that concerned with the welfare of the folks. They've gone three days and haven't said a thing. Jesus initiates this conversation. And maybe, again, I don't know this for sure, but we can even, we, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, when Peter, even after Christ descends and the church is sent out, Peter, even then, still is hesitant to go to the Gentiles. If you go back to the early part of the book of Acts, what you'll see is, that the early church, Jesus had told them, what were Jesus' last words in Matthew and in Mark? It was to go, right? But if you look at the book of Acts and you look at the story of the early church, what did they do for a while? They stayed. In fact, they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go anywhere. Now, eventually what happens is this. The persecution ramps up by the Jewish leaders, and after the persecution starts up, and after three guys are put in jail, and after Stephen is martyred, then what happens? They go, and they scatter. And that's when the church begins to grow. I don't know this for sure, but I'm kind of wondering if God didn't allow persecution so the church would actually finally obey Him. He said, go. They stayed, so He brought a little pain. <laughs> and then they went. So even the early church struggled with the idea, the early church, which was mostly people from Israel of Jewish extraction didn't go. They had to be pushed out. And then Peter still dealt with this idea of dealing with Gentiles, didn't he? When he met with Cornelius. He deals with it later on in the, nation, in the city of Antioch. Paul has to confront him. This idea of God being only for the Jews was so ingrained that even as they kind of knew it in their mind, emotionally, they didn't move on. I think the disciples might not be overly as concerned for this crowd as they were the last one. And so Jesus is pushing them a little bit to say, listen, my mission is not only to the people of Israel, it will be to the world. It reminds me of Jonah. Jonah ends up preaching in Nineveh, but did he ever really want to go to Nineveh? What did God have to do to get him to go to Nineveh? By way of fish. There's a lot of ways to travel. Traveling by fish? Not really the one I'm looking forward to booking. I don't, is there a first-class seat in the front of the fish? Yeah, I don't know. Wasn't pleasant. And even after all that, even after Jonah preaches, is he thankful and celebrating the fact that people in Nineveh repented? He's angry about it. He, he doesn't want them to repent. He wants them burned up. 
Jesus is trying to get past that. So he is moving the mission beyond the, the, the borders of Israel, and he is, he is expanding his flock, if you will. Several years ago, a guy named Mike Jeffries. And Mike Jeffries, five, six years ago, was the CEO of a company called Abercrombie & Fitch. Now you, may, you may know, some of you younger ones in particular may know Abercrombie & Fitch. They are a clothing company, among other things. And he made the comments several years ago, and Abercrombie & Fitch kind of has a reputation for being somewhat exclusive with their clothing. And he made the comment, I think this is about 2012 or 13, that he asked about that they were, they were no longer going to carry clothes for what they called larger people. And he made the comment, when asked about that policy, he said this, are we exclusionary? Absolutely. In every school there are the cool and popular kids, and there are the not-so-cool kids. Candidly, we go after the cool kids. A lot of people don't belong in our clothes, and they can't belong. It may not shock you to find out that people didn't react real well to this. As of 2014 or 15, he was fired <laughs> after several years of shockingly declining sales. He was trying to say that we are only for these small group of people. Our Lord this morning is doing the exact opposite. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying to the world, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter what you look like or what language you speak or what color your skin is, it doesn't matter what social group you come from, it doesn't matter what financial group you come from, it doesn't matter if you have lots of money or, or no money. This is not the things that matter. You may remember the parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 14. The story of a man throwing a feast. He tells the service to go and to invite all these people to the feast so they all have excuses for why they can't show up. Pretty lame excuses at that. And finally he says, the man said to the servants, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Go out to the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. One of the things Jesus is showing us this morning in Mark chapter 8 as he's feeding these 4,000 is that no longer is the mission of God, and it really never was, by the way, just the people of Israel. It is to a world that is desperately in need of him. The church, the universal church, the local church, is not just a place for businessmen or teachers. It's not just for young families or just for those who are retired. It's not just for those who are good with money or those who make bad decisions. It's not just for those who drink too much or don't drink at all. The church is not just for those who like country music or for just those who like hip-hop music. The church is not just for office workers or it's not just for cowboys. It's not just for men. It's not just for women. It's not just for Americans. It's not just for white people or black people. It's for us all. Even though the bulk of Jesus' ministry was, in fact, to the Jewish people, he was carefully educating and teaching the disciples to be intentional as they go to the world. To be intentional about inviting and including the Gentiles. Now, to us, that may not seem like a big deal. But the lesson is still the same. We must be, as the people of God in 2019, we must be intentional in our invitation, intentional in our loving intentional in our including others 
And I'm not talking about just inviting someone to church. It's inviting someone for a meal at your house. It's caring enough to be interested in what their life looks like outside of Sunday morning or Wednesday night. It's being intentional about seeing and seeking out people who don't look like you, talk like you, like the same music as you, eat the same food as you, and letting them know that God loves them and so do you. Now that made the disciples really uncomfortable. And sometimes it makes us uncomfortable too. But the truth is, God has told us the same thing He told them. That is to go to the world. And the world's full of a whole lot of people that look a lot different than we are. And do things a lot differently than we do. By the way, in your bulletin this morning, you have a little insert that talks about something called the International Friendship Outreach. This is an organization that's been in Arkansas for some time. They've come into Russellville the last six months, and their goal is to love on international college students. At Arkansas Tech right now, there's approximately 300 international students from all around the world. And IFO says, you know what? We think God wants us to love them. God's gone to, the, God's gone to all the trouble. They don't realize it yet, but God's gone to all the effort to bring 300 college-age students from around the world to Russellville, Arkansas. Imagine that. People from Saudi Arabia and China and Japan and Africa somehow have found their way to Russellville, Arkansas. I wonder if that's an accident. Probably not. So guess what that might mean? It might mean that God has a purpose for bringing them to Russellville, Arkansas. It might mean that God has a purpose for us in bringing them to Russellville, Arkansas. One of the ways that we can be involved would be something called a friendship family or a friendship partner. Now this, this, uh, this kind of talks about that, so I'm not going to go in details, but here's what it means. It just means that you'll say, you know what, for the next several months or for the semester or for a while they're in college here, I'm going to be their friend. I'm going to get to know them a little bit. I'm going to talk to them from time to time. I might invite them over for a meal. We might sit down and have coffee together, and I'm going to get to know them, and they're going to get to know me, and we're going to be friends. And guess what happens sometimes when friends get together? They get to talk about Christ. And who knows that God hasn't sent someone from Saudi Arabia or China to Russellville, Arkansas, so they get to meet Christ. It's an international mission trip, and all you had to do is drive seven miles. Not a bad gig. I want to encourage you to take of this and pray over it. And maybe you would like to be, your family would like to be one of these friendship partnering families. There's a little training, there's a little, there's a little orientation we'll do here in a few weeks for those who sign up, those who want to be a part of this. Maybe this is a way for us to share the gospel with people that we wouldn't otherwise have met or wouldn't otherwise have known. And we do all this because, well, it's who God is. He didn't just create and love the children of Abraham, God did. He created all people. And as Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says in the first several chapters of Romans, all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, have need, have the same need before God. You and I this, this morning... Most of us were probably raised in an area where people probably knew about Jesus, heard about Christ. Maybe some of you weren't. We've been raised, perhaps most of us, in a certain 
cultural expectation of how you behave and what you do and what's right and what's wrong. And the truth is the world out there looks a little more dangerous, looks a little more scary, is less like the world that perhaps most of us think about that we grew up in. And maybe if we're not careful, our instinct is to do what the disciples did, what many of those did is to withdraw and just be with the people that make us comfortable, that kind of look and sound and act like we, we do. But God hasn't given us that option. God said go. Go to people who don't look like you or talk like you. Go to people who don't listen to the same music as you. Go to people who might even root for another team besides the Razorbacks. <laughs> Go to different parts of the world and, and entertain the world even at your doorstep. Because the same God that looks at you and says, I have loved you so much, I will pour my abundant salvation on you, has the desire to do the exact same thing for the person over there and the person over there and the person over here and He wants us all. That's who God's called us to. So part of the lesson of his repetition this morning is to let the disciples of less grasp this idea that we have a God who supplies all our needs to the fullest. And we have a God who doesn't want us to supply all our needs, but he wants to supply the needs and the salvation of those people around us, the world around us.